Hello and welcome. You're listening to Building with People for People, the Unfiltered Build podcast, where we talk to people behind the tech, explore their journeys, and make sense of what and how we build through a human lens. I'm your host, Nigel Finley. In today's world, big data and insights are the new currency. While it's the machines that ultimately do the number crunching and provide the data, it's the human touch behind the scenes that make it all possible. Today, we explore the field of data science and specifically machine learning and how it permeates every walk of life and the endless possibilities it provides. Our guest today is a scientist through and through. He earned his Bachelor of Science in Physics and Math from University of Maryland, Baltimore County, and his Master of Science in Physics from the University of Washington. He's held roles as a data engineer and a data analyst at the Allen Institute for Brain Science and as a chief data scientist at Stackline, an e-commerce startup. He recently began a new job as a director of machine learning at Bungie. If Bungie rings a bell, well, it should. They created the gaming franchises of Halo, Destiny, and Marathon, just to name a few. When he's not teaching machines how to interpret data, he's a big gamer himself, a runner, and, most critical, an adventure planner for his three-year-old daughter. Ryan Valenza, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, Nigel. I'm so happy to be here. So you're a data guy now, but you began as a math and physics guy right? So virtual right. world, physical world. I'm curious where it all began and how did you go from that physical world to the software world? Right. So, so for me, it, it really wasn't a transition from one to the other. It was, it was more that I've always existed kind of in the realm between hard science and technology, uh, hard science being the, my math and physics degree and technology being all the various jobs I've held while pursuing that degree. And, you know, specifically as I was getting my degree in the sciences, I was paying for my education by working in software. Uh, my, my first job was actually as a cybersecurity technician at my alma mater, UMBC. And this was a very Python data analysis heavy role. And I liked it so much that, you know, after graduating, I had to, I had to decide, do I, do I continue on in the sciences or do I fully transition to tech? And for me at the time, I felt it best to continue on, go the grad school route. But I kind of always, ha I was always looking backwards, like, do I, like, did I make a mistake? Should I, should I go into tech? And uh, I ended up moving, you know, across the country to Seattle, entered the PhD physics program at UW. Uh, but I'm very, I'm very much a practical person. So I, I continued to drift back towards engineering. And uh, post-graduating, I ended up getting a role as a data engineer. And that's really where I began my tech journey. Okay. And when we were chatting before the show, you mentioned that at one point you were a condensed matter physicist and in your words, you say you zap stuff with lasers. What, That's what does that right. mean? Like what, what did you do? Right. So my, my field of study in physics was, uh, the field that exists between condensed matter physics, which is really the study of things that are either cold or slow. Like for instance, the, the table that is right in front of you, if you're sitting at a table hmm. and the regime of things that are very fast and hot, like the sun. So we were specifically interested in, in determining what would happen if you take a table and you give it enough energy so that it becomes as hot as the sun. Like, what does that physical transformation look like? Uh, so to, to do that type of experiment, you have to do exactly that. You have to zap stuff with lasers. So we would, we would work at a variety of uh, na national labs across the country, like Slack and Argonne National Labs. Any, anywhere where you have like a free electron laser or a synchrotron, you can um, 
utilize that energy and focus it in a very small area for whatever materials you bring to the facility. So cool. Yeah, that was awesome. You know, when did you know that you wanted to be in data science specifically? Yeah. So for, for me, it was extremely gradual. I think, uh, I didn't even know that data science was a field until around 2012, 2013, like right when I was, I was finishing up school. Uh, but you know, data science really is the intersection of the scientific method, data and software. And this is a, uh, these are three regimes where I had gained experience in completely separately. Like I've worked in, I've worked as a software engineer. I've worked as a data engineer. I've worked as a scientist, but never have I, never did I work until data science in a field that encapsulated all three. That's a great segue into my, into my question to sort of do some context setting, which what is data science? Yeah. So data science means many things to different people and different companies. So for me, data science is an interdisciplinary field within which its practitioners try to generate value from data using the scientific method. And I know that's fairly it's a, that's a fairly broad definition, but I think because data scientists are doing so many different things, depending on the company, I think it fits best. And so is machine learning sort of a subset of data science then, or an implementation or what, what is machine learning? So machine learning is a tool that data scientists can employ. It's not the only tool they employ. And some data scientists don't even utilize machine learning to do their job because Again, a data scientist is really trying to generate value from data. Machine learning is really a subfield of artificial intelligence where we develop programs that learn from data to solve problems, to solve a variety of tasks. And so I guess if you did pull machine learning as a tool, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I think you hear these words and oftentimes if you're not in the field, it just feels, feels kind of like a buzzword, right? Oh, machine learning, right. you know, it sounds yeah. really advanced and cool. What are some tangible applications that our listeners can take away and, and, and realize, oh, yes, okay, that makes sense. That is what machine learning is. Right. And I, I, think, I think to kind of unveil the buzzwordy nature of machine learning, you can really think of it as the augmentation of data with software, right? It's mm -hmm. not anything magic. It's just, it's just math. In, in terms of tangible applications, um, you know, the, the applications are both vast and varied, really. Any, anytime you see an element of personalized content, like if you're shopping on Amazon or you're viewing shows that are, that are recommended to you on Netflix, that's driven by machine learning. Uh, when you search something on Google, there are models behind that search that are trying to determine the context of your search, depending on who you are. You know, for instance, if you're a programmer and you search the word Java, you're probably going to get results for the programming language. But if you're a coffee enthusiast, maybe you're going to get results that lead you to a nearby coffee shop. Uh, so my general opinion is that if you're, if you're trying to solve a problem and you have sufficient and relevant data supporting that problem, and that the problem is, con is considerably complex where like human intelligence and standard software engineering practices aren't appropriate, then machine learning can and should be applied. Yeah, I, re I really like that uh, definition. I think that that definitely helps to kind of understand that it's, that it's more of a tool that a da data scientist can reach for. Um, to help right. analyze data in certain ways when the human applications maybe are not enough. Yeah, absolutely. So my next question, in the data world, there are three different titles, all of which you have held, a data scientist, a data analyst, and a data engineer. 
right. all have the word data in it, but based on our previous conversations are often confused. Tell us, cl clarify these differences for us so we can help understand the difference between data scientist, data analyst, and a data engineer. Right. And let's keep in mind that these things can mean different things depending on the company that you're at. But for me, I like to think of it in terms of the scale of data a company has access to and the journey they take towards real-time decision-making. So let me, let me break that down a little bit. So let, let's say you're, you're a company and you want to make a data-informed decision, but you don't really have any data. Well, the only thing you can do is hire a domain expert, right? You hire some, some business analyst or domain expert that has worked in the field before that can pull from their experience to make a decision. You know, if you're, if you're building like an e-commerce website and you don't have any, you don't actually have a website up yet, you don't have any data to pull from, and you're trying to determine what the best layout of this website is, well, you, you can hire an e-commerce specialist that has built many such websites in their career. As you continue on in this process, as you, to continue my example, let's say you have a website up and running and it's generating data. Well, that data needs to be organized. It needs to have a common schema that we can use for analysis. So that's where the data engineers come in. So data engineers are really working on setting up the pipeline that uh, this data will travel through, defining schemas, thinking about things like what happens if we have additional fields that analysts will need or business teams will need, that type of thing. Hmm. Um, it's more of an engineering or, or a hardware role where they're thinking of what is the size of my data, uh, where is the data stored, that type of thing, cloud or on-prem. Hmm. Sort of the, the conduit to kind of like make sure that, that the data is available and how that data is flowing is, is appropriate for whatever the setting is. Exactly. Yep, that's exactly right. To continue on in my example, if you want to make a data-informed decision at this scale, like you have data engineers now, you're organizing your data, that's when you would start to hire a, a, a data analyst or an analyst team. And th their role is really to start digging in to this data infrastructure that the engineers have created and solving business problems. So they inform the business teams and the domain experts using the data that they've collected. Okay. To scale up even further, let's say you want to move into the regime of real-time decision-making. So you, to use my example again, if you, if you have this website, this e-commerce website, and it's generating data, you have an analyst team that's reading in that data and feeding business decisions back to the business team. Uh, you might want to have a personalized section of that website, or you want to have the layout automatically adjust depending on user preferences or what you know about the user. That type of like real-time snappy decision-making is the regime for machine learning. And that's where a data scientist will spend their time. And and the data scientist in this example, let's say you have a personalized section of, of your site, the data scientist will use the tool of machine learning to train models based on data that is available, collected, you know, made available by the data engineers, maybe analyzed by the data analysts, and then sort of train these models to help the website generate these personalized recommendations. Yep. Very, very basic, I suppose, but just to kind of synthesize that. Okay. Yep, that's exactly right. It's a, it's a question of scale and uh, speed of decision-making too, where data scientists are able to employ machine learning to solve business decisions in real time or near real, near real time, whereas mm -hmm. data analyst is going to do a deeper dive and uh, set up dashboards to inform like longer term decisions. Great. Well, thank you for the clarification that 
that definitely helps me to understand understand the differences in those roles. So of course, it's, it, it's interesting, and it's interesting how kind of nuanced it can be. Um, and like you said, it's probably very contextual based on the company, but uh, in general, that that sounds because you, you can kind of visualize that flow too, um, right? Between those absolutely. And, and we didn't even talk about you know machine learning engineering or business intelligence engineering or anal- or analysis. So there's there's a whole there facet to this. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, so I guess for listeners who want to learn more about data science, about data analysts, about data engineering and machine learning, and given that you're actually also a teacher, what are some resources or ways that our listeners could jump into this world? So I, I think my, my preference is, is generally to follow uh, university courses. So for instance, there are a lot of public courses available. Like MIT has a machine learning course that I think is fantastic. Um, you could go like the Coursera route. I think that works, that works perfectly fine. Um, and also I wouldn't, I wouldn't knock off YouTube. So I've, I've done a lot of YouTubing and just, you know, I need a refresher on, uh, you know, the gradient descent algorithm. Let me, let me look up a quick YouTube video and, and remind myself the math behind it. Um, I typically like to learn in a topic-based format where I, I think trying to learn all about data science and machine learning is, it can get pretty overwhelming. I mean, there are degrees in this now, uh, but if you, if you instead lower the stakes or, you know, shorten, uh, lessen the scope and look at it at an algorithm level, like I want to learn about random forest classification, that's probably a better, better place to start because you'll, you kind of learn the ins and outs of these algorithms, and then you'll start to see connections between them. And you'll say, hey, this random forest uses a, you can use this for classification. You can, the same way you can use, you know, algorithm X or algorithm Y. You know, it's, you'll start to form these connections and it'll help your learning in the long run. So I kind of want to talk about an example here, uh, right? So it, sort of in tandem with, I want to learn about data science. I want to build something. Right. Okay. So as, as an engineer myself, I want to, I want to dig in and build something. So let's say I want to create an application that given a soundbite of a bird singing, can it, I want it to tell me what kind of bird it is. Okay. How would you kind of go about building that type of application using what I'm guessing would be machine learning? Right. So that is an interesting problem. So I think the first thing I would do is I would ask myself, do we have the data to support this problem, right? So mm. for, for this case, if we treat it as a machine learning problem, ideally we have one thing, we'll need labeled data, uh, which in this case represents the individual sound bites and some label representing the category or type of bird that they belong to. So let's, let's start by saying that we're lucky and we have that, which is not always the case, is actually the rare case. But let's say that, you know, we're lucky we have it. So the first thing that you do as a data scientist is you have to try to find some representation of the sound bite, bite that your model can make sense of, which means you have to represent it as a matrix of some kind. Um, th- this representation differs depending on the type of data that's involved. Uh, you know, images, for instance, are fairly easy to work with because they're already represented internally as a matrix or, or tensor in the case of like a multi-channel image. Um, but for sound, sound, I believe you can, I'm not a sound expert, but I believe that a scientist 
convert the sound data to an image called a, a sonograph. And this is done by taking the Fourier transform of that sound byte. So you basically convert the sound to an image and it can be digested by the model. Uh, and, and once that's done, you also need to represent your labels mathematically because, you know, uh, a label like a Mockingjay or a Bluebird means nothing to math, right? You have to take all of these classes and, and convert them into some mathematical representation. Uh, in this type of classification problem, you would typically use a vector. So you can imagine a vector where every index in that vector represents a different class or a different type of bird. And we place a, okay. for, for a specific bird, like a Blue Jay, you would place a, a one at the index representing Blue Jay and a zero everywhere else. So now you have a, you have a vector representing a Blue Jay. So next comes modeling. And, you know, I, I won't go into detail about which type of model to choose. That's a, <laughs> that's a whole other conversation, but for this problem, let's say we choose a convolutional neural network, right? Because we're talking about images. Um, you can think of this network as a, as a series of mathematical transformations that try to take your input, which is this, this sonograph, this, it, this uh, representation of your soundbite, and through mathematical transformations, converts it into that output array. Hmm. So that's the modeling process. And if you're able to achieve that, you know, you generally, the data scientist will track accuracy, get some measure of success. And if, if you have that, uh, if you have a, a level of accuracy that you're okay with or your employer is okay with, then you start to think about how do I deploy this model in my application, right? And that's really where uh, a machine learning engineer is, is very helpful. They kind of bridge the gap between data science and uh, the application layer, um, mm. whether you're setting up your model as, um, as a service with an API over top of it that other software can interact with, or maybe it's, it's a run in batch across all the birds of the world. Mm. Uh, it's, mm -hmm. that's, that's something that you have to decide. Great. Well, yeah. Thank you for that, for that description as, uh, I'm going to go build a, I'm going to go build a bird app now. Yeah. You're uh, just, you're just yeah. seeking ideas. Your next, yeah. <laughs> uh, your next company. That's right. Gauging how, how difficult it is. Um, <laughs> sounds like, you know, with the assumption that that data is already there, it sounds like it's a piece of cake. So, uh, Right, yeah. You just have to find, you know, get a team of bird watchers assembled, and they'll be get them labeling data. You'll have a billion dollar company in no time. <laughs> exactly. All right. So I kind of want to move on to sort of where you are in your career now, and then I kind of also talk about kind of where you've been and the things that you've done because we've we've kind of talked about what data science is and the different some different disciplines within there but I kind of want to explore you. Okay. So you recently started a new position at Bungie. Congratulations, by the way. It's Thank really you. awesome. And I guess my first question is, aside from maybe the obvious that you're a gamer and they build awesome games, uh, why Bungie? Right. Well, I think this is a case where the, the obvious is the answer, where I, I am a gamer and gaming has been my, my passion my whole life, really. It's it's the one thing that has kept my you know friend group together. It, it's something I grew up with. I've I've been passionate about gaming my my entire life, but you know I've I've always struggled to find a path into a game studio because you know I'm a mathematician. Why would they need me? Mm -hmm. So it, it's only only recently that I since I've become more you know savvy in data engineering and data science that I realized wait no all companies need this. And I can find a path into a gaming company. I just have to find the right role. And it's it's not really every gaming company that, that they'll 
not, not every gaming company will need uh, a large data team. But when you start to think about games as a service or you know, MMOs, massively multiplayer online games, they're generating a tremendous amount of data where game personalization and the like can be extremely uh, beneficial to the company. So Bungie is one such studio. And uh, I was stalking their job, their job postings for a few years until I finally found the right role. Amazing. So given that you've been a gamer for quite a while, where, where did that incarnation of you as a gamer start? What was the console? What was the game? Oh yeah. Well, I, it started very early. So I, um, I have a distinct grouping of memories of myself laying on the couch and my mom was playing Donkey Kong country on the super Nintendo. And I would just watch her for hours. And that was just, you know, something we bonded over. So that's kind of where it started. Uh, it was just a the Super Nintendo console, Donkey Kong Country. And it's actually my mom and my grandmother were like super into those type, those types of games. So, yeah. That's awesome. Super Nintendo. I love that. <laughs> awesome throwback. Have you seen the, uh, uh, like the simulators now where you can um, essentially like create your own little game console and like download a bunch of these old, old games oh, on yeah. there? Like emulators, yeah, yeah, I have a, yeah, I have a yeah. bunch. Yeah, they're great. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's crazy because they can even, I mean, even modern systems like the, you know, the PS3 has a has a pretty decent emulator that you can use. No way. Oh, yeah. cool. I have to check that out. As a data scientist, when you're interviewing, now I know that your current role uh, is is going to have a different interview process than than potentially what I'm asking for, but. I'm curious the interview process for a data scientist. Right. What does that look like when you when you come in for your interview? What are they generally going to, you know, look for and and assess you on? Right. So I, I think th there's gonna be someone assessing you on your technical knowledge. And here we split this into I would say three components. There's uh SQL, which Every data scientist needs to know. And in fact, for, for senior roles, we won't test this because it's just it's just a given that this is something that you have to know if you've gotten this far in data science. Uh, there's your Python knowledge. Data scientist is still very much a Python shop. And then your, your knowledge of machine learning principles. So that's that's usually like one or one or two interviews, or or some people do it as the hiring manager screen or a tech screen before the full loop. Uh, once you get to the full loop, it really, you know, it, it largely depends on the level of the position, um, you know, for, for senior roles, you're really expected to be a leader in your space and you have to have good communication skills to, uh, you know, formulate your, your, the problem you're working on and, uh, communicate it to technical and non-technical stakeholders. So generally there's one person that's just looking for that. Like, can this person communicate well? Can they describe their problem to me? Even if I don't have any clue what they're working on. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. It's all very helpful. It's, you know, obviously familiar with SQL, familiar with Python. So it's kind of cool to know, you know, on the data science side, what is expected from uh, data scientists to, to join a team, generally speaking, obviously. Right. So your new role is a director of machine learning. What's, Generally, I know you've you know only been with the company for a few months now, uh, but generally, what is your 
What is your plan? Yeah, so my, my plan, at least in the short term, is to build a team, right? So machine learning is fairly new to Bungie and gaming in general. And we have plans to, to grow the team to a, to a reasonable size in the near term. And uh, we plan to staff data scientists across a variety of, of categories uh, within gaming. You know, for instance, you know, gaming has a number of social features. Well, we want to have a machine learning expert embedded in the social group to, you know, start to learn what do people like about the social features of our games? How can we make our games more social? How can we suggest friends to players? How can we suggest communities to players to play with? Because, you know, to me, gaming is, it's about the social element. It's about finding friends and playing with other people. Um, there are also a number of, you know, internal company systems that data scientists can help with. Uh, this is the same as at any company, not just, not just, uh, my current one, but you know, we have, we have issues that come up. We have ticketing systems and, and the like that, uh, machine learning can help triage, you know, reduce mm. some of the manual component of, of, uh, anomaly detection. Uh, there's a number of other problems that we are looking into in terms of, uh, artificial intelligence, you know, like. Uh, if you're familiar with the work of Google DeepMind and Alpha Alpha Zero, hmm. um, they're a company that's kind of on the pioneering front for reinforcement learning. Uh, they specialize in machine learning controlled AI in games. So they've you know there's a famous YouTube documentary AlphaGo the movie. It's two hours long where they go into uh, the history of the machine that beat the go grandmaster wow um, they've since gone into and they've since gone into uh you know video games and they built developed alpha star which is an ai that controls uh starcraft bots and they're also able to beat grandmasters uh, we uh we're we're seeing more and more of the power of machine learning behind bots in games hmm. so we want to start uh we're gonna start this research that sounds really exciting yeah. You excited? Oh, I'm very excited. Yeah. This is a dream job for me. So I'm, I'm, I'm pumped. Yeah. Yeah. And are there other opportunities just kind of in general as, you know, as a gamer, um, you know, gamer meets data scientist where you think machine learning can sort of help drive gaming experience? Yeah, I think, I think there is, there are absolutely opportunities, um, you know, there's a field of machine learning right now for that focuses on content generation. And this is generation of, you know, you've probably heard of AI art, which yes. um, is getting a lot of development recently, uh, but it goes beyond art. Really. You can, you can generate content of a ver of a, of many different varieties. You can imagine uh, a level that is entirely machine learning generated right now. We have, we have games that use like massive procedurally generated maps. Um, like no man's sky is one where the entire planets and the creatures on those planets are entirely procedurally generated. Uh, but I don't believe they're generated using machine learning. So the machine learning component would be based on the player or this, the, whatever cohort the player is a part of, what does this cohort enjoy? And let's procedurally generate content that will maximize their enjoyment. Yeah. Wow. 
it's just so so vast and the i feel like the, so the opportunities are just continually changing and gaming is just going to continue to get even more exciting oh absolutely you know yeah. to see where we've come from super nintendo right to yeah. halo uh, is is just really really impressive yeah i think the future is extremely bright absolutely all right, so shifting a little bit to your previous role, uh, you were the chief data scientist at Stackline. What did your work entail? You know, what kind of models were you creating, if that's what you were doing, and how did you use some of the data? Right, yeah. So, you know, Stackline was an e-commerce intelligence, or it is an e-commerce intelligence company uh, focused on automating a lot of the decisions that big brands will make as they sell their products online. Um, as part of this, they model uh, competitor sales. They model traffic for a variety of products that show up on e-commerce retailers. Um, and they maintain an internal ecosystem, uh, internal taxonomy for all products that appear online. Uh, so as part of this, this work, uh, I was largely tasked with building out a team. I mean, that was, that wasn't directly stated to me, but that was the, the, uh, goal behind my role. Um, over a period of four years, we grew the data science team to a team of about 15 people. And this was made up of data scientists, data engineers, and data analysts. Um, and a large part of my role was figuring out how to split the team across projects, right? So mm -hmm. in the end, we, we ended up splitting the team into three different components, representing the different types of models that uh, Stackline developed. And I defined the uh, management structure of those layers. So for instance, um, I had a director assigned to each vertical mm -hmm. and within them, within uh, underneath that director, they would have uh, data analysts and data scientists supporting the work of that. You know, we view them as departments. Well, great. Well, it sounds like it sounds like you really built out a uh, really robust team there and uh, set what you intended intended to do. Right. Yeah, I consider that my my biggest impact there was building out that team. They're very very talented. That's that's got it. Yeah, that's got to feel really good. Now, having moved on, knowing that you've kind of set them up for success and really able to sort of carry on what you've, what you put in place. Absolutely. So going back even further in your career, you worked as a data engineer and a data analyst for the Allen Institute for brain science. What were you doing there? Right. So I was a part of the optical physiology team, which is a department within the Allen Institute that performs, as you can probably guess, optical physiology imaging for a variety of experiments that the Institute supports. Uh, my role in particular was a quality control role where as part of our experiments, we collect uh, a variety of different metrics, different, different data points. And the engineering component came in the organization of this data and the analysis component came from the QC system that sat on top of it, which would automatically pass or fail experiments depending on whether or not something went wrong. 
these are experiments that involve like very heavy and intense equipment where if the if the temperature in the room changes uh, because we're looking at things on the micron scale, the microscope can drift. And now you're imaging in a completely different plane than you thought you were. So we would track things like, you know, did the temperature in the room change? Did the, did the image plane change in a significant way such that the experiment is now no longer viable? And the system would basically reschedule it for us. Wow. It's amazing just to think like an experiment like that has so many things behind the scenes to help make it successful, right? Which right. I'm sure a lot of this, you know, data science is just like a field that really is because it's around data and being able to analyze so many different pieces of it. It's really sort of just that like backbone to be able to help support so many different things. And in your case, just, you know, these, these experiments. Absolutely. It's, it's also a field that, you know, because it's used the word backbone, because it's like the backbone, you have to know a lot of tech to be successful and maybe not know a lot of tech, but you have to be adaptable to technology where, you know, for, for this system that I mentioned, it was really a web app. It was a, a web app that scientists could interact with where they could pass or fail experiments upon viewing the QC metrics and QC reports that we generated. Um, but, you know, a typical data scientists may not have any experience in JavaScript, but you have to be comfortable with, with new tech as it comes up. Mm. Absolutely. So in addition to your day-to-day -day job, you are actually going to be taking on a new role in the spring. You're going to be teaching a class at your alma mater. Why, why, why teach? Right. I asked myself this, so <laughs> it's, it is a lot. So I think, um, the, the primary reason for me is just that, uh, it, it's not just teaching, it's teaching at UMBC, which is my alma mater. Mm -hmm. Um, UMBC is very special to me. It's, it's where I met all of my best friends who are you know, still my best friends 13 years later. It's, it's where I met my wife, you know, my, mm -hmm. my wife and I met in the dorms at Susquehanna hall. We are, uh, you know, going on, let's see, 12 years now. Wow. Uh, and going beyond, you know, more personal reasons, uh, UMBC is just a university that is that I feel is focused on undergraduate teaching. I think I got a great education there, and I wanted to give that back to a new generation of students. I love that. And your class is mm -hmm. Intro to Machine Learning. Is that correct? That is correct. Data Analysis and Machine Learning. Yep. Excellent. And what are sort of at a high level? What are some, what are some big points in the syllabus? Right. So it's, it's really a class about the algorithms behind machine learning. So it's split into three sections. Uh, there's a section, there's a section on supervised learning, a section on unsupervised learning and a section on reinforcement learning with, uh, kind of an optional topic segment at the end. And we really go over all of the algorithms and tooling necessary to support those three regimes. You know, for supervised learning, we're going to be talking about, you know, everything from regression to tree-based methods. For unsupervised learning, we're going to be talking about uh, graph data science and clustering. Uh, and for reinforcement learning, you know, I'm going to be talking about StarCraft and AlphaStar and games, and that'll be fun. 
excellent. All right. Well, as we as we wrap up here, um, first of all, this has been wonderful. I feel like I've learned so much about data science. So thank you again for for joining us today on the show. No problem. I want to move on to our last section. It's called Building Bits and Bytes. It's a lightning round. I ask all my guests four questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Why do you build software? So I build software for the experiences that I can have. So I feel like software can take you anywhere, right? Like you can, all companies use software. It's similar to data science. Uh, I've gotten to work in aerospace, neuroscience, e-commerce, and now gaming. And, you know, usually in like a standard career path, why would you ever work in all of these industries? Well, software is the commonality between all of them. Who was your cheerleader or support system? My family, absolutely. Sorry to give, sorry to give a generic answer, but you know, it's my wife, it's my daughter, you know, it's my parents, it's my, my cousin who I FaceTime with all the time. It's, it's uh, all those people. Best advice you've ever received? When I was interning at NASA, I was working on a presentation. And as part of the presentation, I, I think I said, I was trying to explain like why my method was so great, but I did it in a way that disparaged another method that was already existing. And he said something to me that I, I still think about. It's, you should never bring someone else down to bring yourself up. Mm. And I, I really believe that. Any tech or any tools that you're using to help solve everyday problems? Right, so here, you know, my, my, I'm a father and I have a three-year-old, so my, my everyday problem is how can I entertain my three-year-old? So uh, recently I found a, a fantastic program called Baby Smash. Hmm. And, you know, keep in mind, I'm always at my computer. You know, I'm a data scientist and a gamer, so I'm always on my computer. And, you know, uh, my daughter is, is very curious about computing and she likes playing with the mouse and keyboard. But, you know, if I'm working, then it's... I don't want her to mess up my work. There's this application called Baby Smash that kind of takes control of your of your computer. And if a child plays with the keyboard, uh, it won't mess up anything you're doing. And it will show them like letters and numbers and play sounds. And it's more of like a game for them. So yeah, this is probably, probably atypical answer, but that, that's, that's my everyday problem and how I'm solving it. I love it. And to... Uh... And to wrap up, where where can people find you on the web? Yeah, so my my internet presence isn't isn't uh, vast. I would say you know LinkedIn is definitely the easiest place to find me. It's where uh, I spend a lot of my time because I'm very you know in that management mindset right now. Uh, I do have a Twitter, uh, and I also have a Twitch. So I stream on occasion. What about uh, gaming handles? I mean, can people find you in in games? People can find me in games, of course. Yeah, so I, I actually my handle is yesterday in most games. Wow, not today, did not tomorrow. In, yesterday, you got in early, and then it wasn't taken. Well, sometimes I have to replace letters with numbers, but mostly it's just yesterday, ah. no numbers. Yeah, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. And for your intro to machine learning class, is that only for students? currently enrolled that is a great question i i think 
they have a process by which anyone can take that class. Uh, the idea behind it is it's a 600-level graduate class for the Masters of Data Science students. But okay. I believe you can apply to take it if you're not in that program. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll talk offline and uh, get some links for anybody who's, who's curious to at least t- take a look. Oh, of course. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It was such a wonderful treat to have you talk about your journey into data science, you know, talking about where you started with your gaming journey with Super Nintendo, uh, clarifying roles of data scientists, data analysts, data engineers, and, and how data science is about generating value from data. I really love that. love that point. So anything else you want to leave our listeners with before we wrap up the show today? Uh, you know, I'll just say that, you know, if you if you are interested in data science and math, that, you know, please, please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm, I love chatting with people. Some of my great friends have come just from chatting with strangers on LinkedIn. So right. thanks again, Ryan. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Building With People For People, the Unfiltered Build podcast. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, please leave a review. If you're building something that is interesting and aims to solve a human problem and would like to be a guest on this show, please send me an email at jointhepodcast at unfilteredbuild.com. Until next time, go build with people.